This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Hockey News Podcast. It's Matt Larkin here, as always. It's Ryan Kennedy here, as always. And there's Stephen Ellis behind the camera, if you're watching. He's the eye in the sky for the podcast. We're brought to you by our sponsor, BetMGM. And Ryan, as per our new tradition, I want a weekend update. What has happened to you since our last show? All right, well, it's time to get into the Halloween spirit. So lots of things going on in the household, lots of crafts with the kids, but also uh, dipping in some old horror movies. We watched the original Nightmare on Elm Street the other night. It's actually really good. I can understand why they did a bunch of sequels based off the first one. It, you know, I mean, there's some silly 80s stuff, but it's the very first Johnny Depp movie. And uh, it's... It holds up pretty well. It's got a good final girl in it. It's funny. I've always thought Nightmare on Elm Street was brilliant because you can make a case. This is my hot take. Freddy Krueger's real. If Freddy Krueger can only get you in your dreams, and then real life you have a dream about Freddy Krueger, that's the real Freddy. That's where he exists. That means he's technically real. Maybe he can't kill you. But if you're, if you're having a dream tomorrow night or tonight and Freddy Krueger's in the dream, you can make a case that's the real Freddy that you're encountering. And that, to oh. me, I love horror movies that invert something uh, that is supposed to feel safe, like going to sleep. Oh, if I can right. finally fall asleep, I won't be thinking about this scary movie. Mm. But no, that's where Freddy, Freddy gets you. Yeah. I also, you know, we, we were inspired by that Netflix series, The Movies That You Love, or whatever it's called, where it goes behind the scenes. And it's hilarious with how many of those, like, 80s, and even 70s movies where they talked to the cast or the crew and they're like, we had no idea what we were doing and we had no money, but we just did it. And, you know, they ended up making, you know, 12 Friday the 13th movies and like Halloween was this huge success and they still make Halloween movies and Friday the 13th. Yeah. It's hilarious how movie making back then was just like, whatever. Yeah, it's so true. Just duct tape. and Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a good, it's the movies that made us is that that series. It's funny. It sounds like we had a very similar weekend. I also watched a horror classic, which I had never seen because I was too scared, but I finally watched The Ring. Oh, nice. Uh, it was pretty creepy, psychologically creepy, which I really like. It wasn't about jump scares, yeah. but more imagery that stays with you. And again, like Nightmare on Elm Street, I love a horror movie that perverts something that's supposed to feel safe. So it's like, oh, I'm scared. I watched The Ring. I, I can't fall. I can't sleep. I'm going to put the TV on. <laughs> That's the source of the, yeah. the fuzzy TV or, you know, Samara crawling out of the TV. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. It inverts the thing that you're supposed to feel safe. So if you go to bed, you watch that movie, you turn on the TV, then that's going to just make you think even more about what you just saw. So very brilliant idea. We did this on Rapid Fire and uh, mine was, I went to a, a hipster party dressed as Devo and people loved it. Yes. And it was the least effort I've ever put into a costume. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I said I, th- I said Wolverine or T1000. Those are yeah. my two best. Uh, okay, so let's get talking a little hockey now. The Chicago Blackhawks are the first team in more than 40 years to open a season going six games without holding a lead. So it's sort of a two-part question to open the pod here. What is wrong? How do you fix it? Maybe it's a three-part question. And does the fix involve firing coach Jeremy Colleton? Where do you land? Okay, so I I have sort of an interesting way to tackle this question. And I, obviously, there's a lot wrong. They, they can't score. They can't keep the puck out of the net. They can't defend. That's pretty much all there is in hockey. But I feel that the problem with the Hawks is they didn't know who they were this summer. So I don't blame Jeremy Colleton because when they hired him, you know, obviously he was a very young coach, but 
you know, the key was he was a great communicator and he was known as a guy that could really relate to players and get the most out of them. So for a rebuilding franchise, this made a ton of sense because you wanted to build a culture kind of from the ground up. And, you know, when you already have Jonathan Taves, you know, you've got a pretty good culture to begin with. And, you know, the, the Hawks had won multiple cups, but you were looking at sort of a new era coming in. And, you know, the sense was that, you know, Chicago was going to be rebuilding or retooling, whatever you want to call it. And you had Adam Boakvist and you had, you know, Ian Mitchell. And then, of course, they get Kirby Doc and Kirby Doc was great right away. Uh, then he had some injuries, but, you know, still a ton of potential there. I think the problem was this summer, they kind of went for it. And it was weird because this was not a playoff team. And they were going from that sort of different division last year back to a central that had Colorado and, you know, Minnesota on the upswing. St. Louis was already good. You know, Winnipeg was going to be better. So it, it really felt like do you think you're a playoff team? Because I don't think you are. And But then, you know, they get Seth Jones. They get Marc-Andre Fleury. Um, you know, they they get Tyler Johnson, who's coming off back-to-back Stanley Cups. It, it felt like a team that thought they were close. And I, I don't think they were, even though they were getting back Jonathan Taves, uh, who, of course, missed last year. And then, uh, you know, Kirby Doc as well. I don't think this team was ready. And I think that's the problem is you have all these veterans who are used to winning or were, you know, sort of excited to be on the cusp of winning, but you didn't have the right mix yet. You were still trying to figure things out. And I think that's kind of jumbled it all. So I don't blame Colleton. I kind of blame management for making all these big moves. I think it probably would have been more prudent to continue to rebuild. And, you know, ironically at this point, I know there's a conditional trade that might affect that first round draft pick depending on how the lottery works, but I I think Chicago needs another high pick to keep restocking the cupboards and to go young. And in that case, Colleton is a great coach to have. Mm -hmm. If you think you are, you know, close to winning multiple playoff rounds, then okay, maybe you go out and get a Bruce Boudreaux as your coach. But for me, I think the the mistake was in the personnel moves they made over the summer, not necessarily the coach they have, because I think when the when they hired Colleton, the logic made sense. If, if you're going to go in a totally different direction, then okay, I guess you fire Colleton and get somebody more experienced. But it, I, I'm not sure at this point if that's even going to make a difference. Right. And it's interesting you mentioned the management. It calls to mind a conversation I had with Stan Bowman uh, in the offseason, the 2020 offseason, so after the bubble. And one thing he was really stressing is I was talking about his plan and and how there was possible friction with these the sort of original members of that, you know, the mini dynasty and how mm-hmm. there was tension in terms of the players wanting to still take another run while they still had some, some decent years left. And what Bowman explained to me at the time was, listen, everyone's talking about rebuilding. We've, we've already started. The rebuild started a couple of years ago when we were, you know, making, using our draft picks on guys like Bokvist and Nicholas Bonet and, and Ian Mitchell, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
so in his mind, it was already coming along. Mm. And this offseason, the 2021 offseason, was the first offseason in which the Blackhawks weren't in cap hell for a long time. And it was like as soon as the possibility to behave badly was there, then Stan <laughs> Bowman gets spending again. Because I think it reflects the mentality of him believing this team still has a shot left, especially for Patrick Kane. Jonathan Taves, obviously, the health situation was in flux. Duncan Keith's gone. Brent Seabrook's pseudo-retired. But it was more about Patrick Kane, mm-hmm. obviously, still having good years left. So the Hawks go for it. But the weird thing is, and I said this in the summer, is this is not me getting on my my high horse saying, oh, well, this is what I thought. This team already had certain problems, and I don't know if the moves were going to repair them. So, oh my God, they got Marc-Andre Fleury. They're a cup contender. As I've said before on this podcast, they had great goaltending two seasons ago from Corey Crawford. They had very good goaltending for a lot of last year from Kevin Lankin. Goaltending was already good. So if you're bringing in more good goaltending, well, it was good in the first place. That's not going to fix a problem. The big problem was, of course, horrible defensive play, historically bad defensive play. You're bringing in Seth Jones, who more traditional thinkers believe is still an alpha defenseman. People on the analytics side believe that he has struggled badly defensively in the last couple of years. And again, that latter argument is a little was a little sketchy when they made the move, committing huge dollar, dollar and term to Jones when they had major defensive problems. It was like, okay, well, their goaltending is already good. They got another good goaltender. Their defense is bad. They got a defenseman who has not been playing good defensive hockey in recent years. So are we sure they're actually going to be better? But the weirdest thing is looking under the hood, at the numbers so far this season. They have improved defensively. They're allowing far fewer chances, far fewer shots, and what they're not doing is scoring. They have the lowest expected goals per 60 in the NHL at five on five. That I don't understand. Mm. They have been playing fire wagon hockey for the most part under the Carlton era and giving up a lot of chances, just high event hockey. Right now, it's almost like they, they've brought in, you know, they bring in Jake McCabe as well. They're trying to become more of a defensive team, I guess. And that's kind of the ironic part is They've, they're doing that, and under the hood, they're actually giving up fewer chances, but they're not generating anything at the moment. So mm-hmm. I don't know how you fix that. To me, that makes me wonder if you do have to bring in someone different. And I actually wrote down, you mentioned him, Bruce Boudreau, because he has a history of A, turning around teams, and B, really generating good offense from pretty much every group he's ever coached. So I do think that maybe bringing in a new a new mind would help things. I'm not sure, but it's strange. They're confounding to me because... Their their struggles are different than they were the last couple of years. Mm. It's less about defense and it's more about struggling to generate offense right now. Another team that is struggling, and these two teams, I'm pretty sure they're playing each other next, if I'm not mistaken. They are. The Toronto Maple Leafs. So there's a lot of panic on the old Twitter. They're two, four, and one. They're averaging 1.86 goals per game. So do you land in the panic camp or do you land in the take it easy camp? I land in the take it easy camp because if you said to a Leafs fan, you know, with no context otherwise, the Leafs basically have the same record as Tampa Bay. Would you panic or would you say, okay, that's that's fine? Because that's what it is. You know, the Leafs, uh, I think they're right now they're 2-4 and 1, Tampa's 2-3 and 1. So essentially with one game in hand, they're slightly worse than Tampa. You know, Mitch Marner has one point in seven games. You know, Austin Matthews is just coming back. He hasn't hit his stride just yet. You know those guys are going to get points. You know, at worst in an 82-game season, like at worst, those guys are going to give you 65, 70 points. They're most likely going to give you quite a bit more than that. But at worst, you're going to get guys that are going to give you way more offense than they're giving you right now and you know it's tough when it's the beginning of the season because you feel that it sets the tone and 
You know, you worry that your team is going to fall so far behind that they can't catch up. You know, with Toronto, that's not the case. I mean, they're not last in their division. They're not even second last at this point. Um, but also, you know, if you if you think about this, do teams have bad weeks in February or December? Yeah, for sure they do. You know, you could lose three in a row or four in a row. And it's not good, but it's not the end of the world. For that reason, I think the Leafs, I mean, clearly they need to pick up some wins as soon as possible. Chicago and Detroit are teams that, you know, at least on paper, they should beat, even though the Red Wings are playing very well right now. But I, I wouldn't panic because I think in the overall grand scheme of things, like I said, if, if you told Leafs fans that you'd basically have the same record as Tampa Bay, I think they'd say, oh, that's great. That's where we want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned the sort of if this happened in the middle of a season, so they're 2-4-1. and one. But let's say they were 25-10-1 and one, and then they had the stretch, then they'd be 27-14-2. And, and you'd be like, well, it's barely a blip in right. the standings, right? But when it's the first stretch of the season, obviously it, it raises eyebrows. And it's a very different situation than Chicago in the sense that the Leafs are actually generating a ton of chances. If you look at those numbers, they have the second highest expected goals for per 60 at five on five. They generate the second most scoring chances per 60 at five on five, the second most high danger chances per 60. So they are getting their chances. They're just not going in. So I do think there's a little bit of uh, bad puck luck there. That said, you can't blame it all on that because you can't just go entirely based on numbers and there's you know obviously various versions of chance quality and you could be gaming the system if you're just shooting from low percentage areas and you're getting a lot of shot attempts so although to me it is telling that they're still generating scoring chances and high danger chances uh, but it doesn't mean, of course, that there's nothing to fix. The power play has been terrible, 13.6%. Mm. I don't know what's going on. The first week or two of John Tavares as a Leaf, I remember the power play was unbelievable and people were saying this is this power play is unstoppable. And yeah. pretty much since then, it's been really bad. I don't know what it is. To me, at least moments where I've noticed it in the past have been when they're trying to position uh, Matthews and Marner at opposite sides. And Mar- obviously, Matthews developed a one-timer. Marner has attempted to. He just doesn't have it. And forcing the puck to him, to that play, I don't think it works. I haven't gotten a close enough look to see if they're doing that deployment this year uh, like they were last year. But I don't know if that's a problem. The weird thing is they brought in Dean Chenoweth from Carolina to repair this power play. So far, it's not working. And I would say, even though I'm definitely not an eye test guy compared to most, I'm more of a numbers guy, you could argue that there is a visible quit in their game so far and it's a phenomenon we saw it with mike babcock right before he got axed Mm. when a team does the sort of taking a dive thing where they're playing as if they want to get their coach ousted i don't know if that's what's going on but that you have to at least ask the question has sheldon keith lost the room so i'd say overall i wouldn't panic because they are getting their chances if they weren't then it would obviously be time to panic that said i don't think things are perfect Mm. they do seem to be struggling mentally and it comes back to a thing i've mentioned it before that i asked uh, Marner and Matthews before the season just how do you get up for the season when no one really cares about the regular season anymore it's about going through the playoffs and how do you just slog through 82 games when it doesn't matter how good you're going to be the fans will not care if you don't win around so I do wonder if that's having an effect where they're just kind of looking past the regular season if we're looking for a silver lining for this team it could be a blessing being in a dogfight all year could actually sharpen the team and then maybe they limp into the playoffs having being battle tested, and mm. that might be the, the mentality they need to finally win a series. It'll be interesting to see. 
So Connor McDavid has an amazing stat line. Six goals, 13 points in his first five games. That is a 213-point pace, which is unbelievable, but also unbelievable that it still is, it still wouldn't beat Gretzky. So shout out mm. to Gretzky for still being absolutely ridiculous. Um, so I'm curious, how many points do you think Connor McDavid can finish with? We know he had 105 and 56 games last year. So do you think this is the year that he puts the best point total we've seen in multiple decades? Is it 200 points? Is it 125? Is it 150? Where are you landing on this? I'm thinking 150 is the number I'm settling on. And the fact that the Oilers are off to such a great start, you know, they're undefeated at the time that we're recording this, first in the division. So, you know, I was trying to think of, you know, what would slow Connor McDavid down? And, you know, one thing would be if, you know, the Oilers really needed to win certain games late in the season or in order to make sure they had home ice advantage, then maybe he, you know, starts to play more defensively than offensively or or what have you. But, you know, so far, I mean, doing what he's doing has been pretty effective, uh, you know, scoring (laughs) Two points a game is a pretty good way Almost of uh, three. yeah, it's a pretty good way of winning games. So I don't think he's going to be hampered by that at all. Uh, in terms of teams trying to slow him down, well, teams are always trying to slow him down, and they can't do it because he's Connor McDavid and he's fast as lightning, and uh, he's even faster when he has the puck on his stick. So I don't see a lot of things slowing him down. You know, he'll probably have a couple of off nights, sure. Um, you know, maybe there's a little fatigue after the Olympics, possibly. Uh, so, you know, I don't think he gets to 200, but 150, I think, is totally doable. And, uh, I mean, what an accomplishment that would be in this current NHL where we're seeing, you know, such parity and, and so many good teams at the same time. For sure. What he's doing is really it's the the most dominant individual performance we've seen you have to even go past Alex Ovechkin scoring 65 goals it's Mario Lemieux in 95-96 was the last player to score at this rate and McDavid did that last year he had the best in terms of points per game the best scoring pace since Mario Lemieux in 95-96 I think McDavid had something like 1.88 points per game and if we're looking at McDavid's age he's 24 years old he will turn 25 in January and if we look at other generational superstars and when they peaked it's interesting Wayne Gretzky is a January birthday when he had his 215-point season, he was 24. He turned 25 in January. So McDavid is the exact same age, almost like to the day mm. that Gretzky was in that season. That said, Gretzky, that was when he, when he had his most points of his career. But it actually wasn't Gretzky's true peak. 92 goals came before that. And the season at which he was on his highest pace ever was the 87-goal season. I think it was 205 points, something like that. But it got cut short. Maybe it was 212. I forget what it was. But it got cut short. He missed some games. That was his true peak. And if you look at Gretzky... That peak, Mario Lemieux's peak, Sidney Crosby's peak, Alex Ovechkin's peak, almost to a man, it was 23. So McDavid, it's hard to say if he is going to have the best season he could ever have. At the same time, I I do wonder if there's a a mental thing where he's had a couple seasons cut short by injury that might have been his peak. Last year maybe should have been his true peak. He was 23 at the start of that season, Mm -hmm. but it was cut short. So I do wonder if he's willing for one more season to sell out for offense. Mm. And before he starts making that, you know, superstar transition to trying to win cups and you sacrifice right. a bit of scoring like Sidney Crosby did. I think this might be the last year he's not doing that. And he's still thinking about full throttle, getting his numbers because he didn't get to see what he could have done in a full season last right. year. So because of that, I do think that this season will eventually go down, at least in terms of volume stats, as the peak of 
Connor McDavid. So 50 mm. goals, and I think you're right. I think 150 points. I think he's going to deliver, if healthy, the first 150-point season since 1995-96, which is really exciting, yeah. especially relative to era. What a, what a pleasure to watch. So we saw earlier this month, uh, every, every team leading up to the Winter Olympics <laughs> on the men's side for 2022, Beijing had to... Uh, release a shortened list. It was, I believe, 50 skaters and, and five goaltenders. Canada got an exception. They were able to name six goaltenders because Carey Price is in the NHL player assistance program. His status is up in the air. So the six goalies are Marc-Andre Fleury, Carey Price, Jordan Bennington, Darcy Kemper, Carter Hart, and Mackenzie Blackwood. I did write about this on our website this week in terms of breaking down who I think had the inside track, but I think it's a fun discussion topic. For sure. Especially because Canada's net is a lot more in flux than other teams' nets, right? Yeah. You know Vasilevsky is the starter for Russia. It's probably Hellebuck for the U.S. Slovakia already named Halak. Germany already named Grubauer. So those situations are pretty worked out. Canada's is very much up in the air. So I want to know, which three do you take? And who's your starter right now? Okay. And, you know, it's funny. Stephen and I were talking about this before we started the podcast. Like, none of Canada's goaltenders are playing great right now. So... I'm going to go more on kind of like vibe and reputation. And this might sound surprising, but, you know, if I can't have Carey Price, then right now my number one is Darcy Kemper. And, I, you know, I know he's not putting up great numbers in Colorado, but, you know, Darcy Kemper had that great world championship run for Canada, leading to a gold medal. And when I look at this Canadian team, I mean, even against other powerful teams they're probably only going to give up about 20 shots a night at that i mean china's going to get like one shot on net maybe um but even against like really good teams like the americans i mean this canadian team with the talent they have up front with you know the guys they have in defense it's going to be pretty much a wall and it's a wall that is constantly pushing towards you so the goaltender i want i just need someone who's not going to screw up and I feel with Darcy Kemper, this is a guy that he has, you know, clutch play recently. And that's that world championship where he had to come up big because Canada struggled at the beginning of that tournament. And they basically had to do everything right from a certain point on to win that gold medal. And they did. So I would go Kemper number one. I would go Marc-Andre Fleury number two because he's just such a good guy to have in the room. And you know, he's okay not being the starter. And, you know, if you need him to be the starter, he's there. Obviously, he has tons of playoff experience. He's got cup rings. So, you know, you can count on him. You know, my old, the only reason he's not my number one is, you know, we've seen Fleury give up some like weird, terrible goals in the playoffs before. And, you know, Canada, they, they can't have that happen. Um, so that's why I would put Kemper ahead of him. And then, you know, third, I'm going to go Jordan Bennington um, again, because even though he hasn't played well recently, I kind of feel like, you know, Team Canada um, in the past sort of decade or so, they've almost been like if the St. Louis Blues were played by the Avengers you know, like it's like the best version of the St. Louis Blues possible, mm -hmm. where it's just like pressure, you know, heavy forwards who can all, you know, that also have skill, great defense core. So, you know, Bennington, he, he knows that system and he has won a cup in that system. So he would be my number three because I just I don't want to take any chances in net. 
Um, you know, Hart's been up and down. Blackwood, not a lot of experience. And he's already behind the eight ball with, uh, you know, that heel injury. And then, you know, he still has to, you know, get all his vaccinations in order. I know that process has begun. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm just kind of worried on that side that there, there's not enough lead up. Um, so the three guys I, I go with, I, I, I feel like I have what I need. Because this team doesn't need much in net. They just need somebody that they can rely on every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. I think we have a similar breakdown. I think we agree that Blackwood and Hart are the two that are on the outside looking in for now. Uh, Blackwood, because of course, like you said, he's catching up vaccine-wise. And, you know, when I spoke to Marty Berger in the summer about Jonathan Bernier, and he you know, he explained to me we, we wanted Corey Crawford last year. He retired unexpectedly. We brought in Bernier for the same reason we brought in Crawford, was we wanted to have that support system for Blackwood. It's very smart, but it also tells us that they don't really see Blackwood yet as a, like a 60-start guy, mm. right? So if he's not even established as that for the Devils, who aren't even a playoff team, I don't think you can jump him onto Canada, even though he's got a lot of talent. He's big. And the Devils do love him. Broder believes in his potential, absolutely. But to me, he's he's at the bottom of the list for now. Carter Hart has, as I wrote in the article, the widest range of outcomes because yeah. talent-wise, you know he could be the starter. At least people might have said that a couple of years ago, but he has to figure out what's going on between his ears first. So I think he's still an underdog. Obviously, Carey Price, if he's available, is going to be the starter on this team. He's mm-hmm. established himself. He was untouchable in 2014 and the 2016 World Cup. He showed in the playoffs last year that he can still be that money goalie and his calm demeanor. He doesn't need to get a lot of shots. Even if he's cold, he's just the perfect goaltender for the way Canada plays. But we don't know if he's going to be back and the team has to be named by January. And we don't know, even if Price is back, whatever he's going through, he might decide that you know, for his family, it's too much stress to be back in the NHL and making that long trip overseas, being gone for several weeks. And he also, he's already won Olympic gold. So it's not like it's this thing he needs to accomplish to add to his career accolades, right? So I don't think it's given that even if Price comes back, that he's going to the Olympics. Obviously, he's the starter. But if you're if you're uh, removing him from the equation, I have the same three as you, but configured differently. So I still think it's Fleury's job to lose. He's the reigning Vezina Trophy winner. And I don't think... I don't think the poor start will be held against him this season because it's clearly the team in front of him, I think, is just having a lot of trouble. Whereas he was phenomenal for a good defensively sound team like the Vegas Golden Knights last year. So I, I think I think Fleury would be fine. I have Bennington as my number two. I do think Bennington has a strong chance to make the team because Doug Armstrong is the GM. So there's a very good chance he takes his own guy. And Bennington, Bennington to me... There are a couple of blips in the playoffs, but for the most part, his career, since that amazing rookie season, he's just been... A high floor goaltender who's always pretty good, who's rarely elite, but that's kind of what you want. And he's got, again, a very icy mentality, the right demeanor. Darcy Kemper, obviously, he does have the most recent international experience. And you could make a case. The environment he's playing in Colorado this year will be the best simulation of Canada because it's a loaded team that's not going to give up a lot of chances. That said, to me, we have to... We have to see whether Darcy Kemper can make it to the Olympics in one piece. He has started more than 29 games one time in his career. Mm. He's not been the picture of durability. So that's a heavy workload. He's already probably going to get the heaviest workload of his career in Colorado this year. And then if you ask him to go into the Olympics, it might be asking too much. So to me, Kemper, I would make as my number three. Someone you can call in who can really stand up for you, but isn't the guy I want to rely on to be that horse. Okay, let's get to some listener mailbag questions now. The first one is from Kyle Congdon. 
Hot take or no, Connor McDavid is the best hockey player there has ever been if you don't adjust for era. Gretzky's vision, Datsuk's hands, almost Lemieux's size. That one's a stretch. Lemieux's yeah. a really big dude. McDavid's like 6'1". But yeah, Lemieux's 6'5". Like, yeah, and he's like 230. Yeah. Better wheels than Bobby Orr. Uh, for the most part, Kyle, I think you're right. I, I agree with this. I think that if you remove era adjustment, you just dropped Connor McDavid in the 80s with his speed and just all-around skills, even just the training that's available to him mm-hmm. and his just core strength that he probably has because of all the crazy exercises he can do, I do think he would probably get 300 points and just right. embarrass those 80s goalies. I'm still an absolute Wayne Gretzky truther because I think it's always about what you did relative to your peers. Mm. And Wayne Gretzky won the scoring race by more than 70 points, I think six times. So like Wayne Gretzky for life. But for the sake of this argument, yes, I think if you drop McDavid into another era, he would absolutely wreck people. Yeah, he certainly would. But I mean, if we're going off that sort of scenario, I would rather have Sidney Crosby because I always go by the sort of uh, scenario of can player X shut down player Y or would player Y shut down player X? So in my mind, Sidney Crosby at his peak could shut down Connor McDavid, but Connor McDavid could not shut down Sidney Crosby when Crosby was at his offensive peak. So if you put either of them in any other era, you know, if you send them back 50, 60 years and they're playing against, you know, farm boys and minors, then yeah, they're going to, and I, minors with an E, not an O. Um, then yeah, they're scoring 300 points each. Uh, you know, if you put Gretzky in today's game, I still think he'd be pretty effective, uh, but he would probably be like, I always feel like he would be like Patrick Kane. Like if you think about like their frames, mm-hmm. um, but the actual talent they have, I, I think he would still have that kind of impact where it's like, oh, he's not the best in the game, but he's still pretty good. Um, so yeah, in that scenario, I, I, I think McDavid's, you know, one of the best just in terms of what he brings to the table, but he still hasn't won anything. And, um, you know, he's still working on the defensive side of things. Mm-hmm. So the upside is tremendous, and he's obviously having an incredible offensive season. But best of all time, I, I would pump the brakes. Mm-hmm. And shout out to Gretzky in the second last season of his career in dead puck. So he made it to dead puck. He led the league in assists the year before he retired. So Gretzky's the man. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I do think... You can make a case for Ovechkin being the person who would dominate the most because of his physicality mm. as well. Although, if you dropped Ovechkin like into the 20s and his hot dogging after goals, like Sprague Cleghorn be like, I don't like this boy. And like, he would probably like stick him in the face. And be like, yeah. That's what you get. Then you get your comeuppance now, boy. He would throw a skate at his head. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. But yeah, if you want, if you want to read some cool facts and just have a laugh, go read about Sprague. Craig Cleghorn. Cleghorn, who yes. was basically a criminal on skates. Like he He's was, the reason the Lady Bing trophy was created because yeah. Lady Bing hated him so he was much. An, like, he was like Happy Gilmore brought to life. Yes. Okay, next question is from B2B Jesper or Jesper. If Rasmus Dahlin had been drafted by a different team, where do you think he would be today? Could he have develop, developed better or faster with another team? And if so, which one? Really cool question. Um, I do think he would be in a better spot. I think anyone would be in a better spot with all due respect to Buffalo. Just what's happened has been pretty nightmarish. Except for the first week of the season. I know Buffalo Sabres Twitter really got angry with me last week. Uh, but I, I, I think, yeah, anyone would, I think, argue this, that he would be in a better spot. Um, and there's different ways to think of it. I think if you put him on a team like Tampa Bay, in you know, if you look at the development of Mikhail Sergachev, that would be a place where he's not under pressure to be the guy right away. And he would have had a amazing mentor in Victor Hedman. Uh, or you could put him on a team like Detroit if you wanted to make it a more realistic, a team that could have got him with a lottery pick. 
Detroit would have been interesting, and they probably would have developed him a lot slower, even though he's the first overall pick under Steve mm-hmm. Eiserman. The Wings are really they like to slow cook those kids. I sound like uh, the witch and Hansel and Gretel <laughs> slow cook the kids. Uh, so those are the two teams that stood out to me, like as as possible scenarios. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I think that he would be better off. Yeah, and I, I would agree. I, I think you know Ralph Kruger really twisted that kid's head around last year, and you know when Don Granado came in, the healing began for Rasmus Dahlin. So uh, you know, luckily. Uh, you know, there wasn't too much damage done and there's so, still so much potential that I, I think it'll be fine. But in terms of where he could already be, I look at Miro Heskinen and they're not exactly the same defensemen, uh, but they're obviously both very good young talents. And I, I would say, you know, if Dalian had been somewhere else, he would already be sort of in that Miro Heskinen territory of, you know, a guy that is obviously, you know, a top pairing material that can move the puck and uh, can bring you offense and and be a very important part of a team already. And I, I don't think Dalian's far off doing that because of the talent he has. But in terms of, you know, like numbers and impact and confidence, I think, you know, Miro Heskinen would be sort of the, the best comparison. Ralph Kruger, I never really thought about this, but the closest thing we have to a real life Ted Lasso. He went and took a job at the EPL. He's like went, evil Ted Lasso. Yeah, he's like Ted Lasso. If Ted Lasso, everything went wrong and Ted Lasso went back yeah. and tried to coach football again, but then it didn't work. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Next question is from Brian Morris. Brian Morris wants to know, Mitch Marner or William Nylander, who will be moved out of Toronto first? I think the knee-jerk reaction or the reaction from you know Toronto radio callers who will find the one shift where William Nylander was out of breath and they claim he doesn't back check. They'll say, oh, i got to get Nylander out of here. But I think if you really think about it, uh, Mitch Marner makes so much more money than William Nylander, almost $4 million more, $10.9 million. He's worth a lot more in a trade. He's, just, he's younger. He's accomplished more. He has significantly more trade value. And you get more cap relief if you move him. You can do a lot more. So if you have to trade one of them, I'm not saying that they do yet, but I think, you'd, I, think I would consider moving Marner because you can just open up a lot more, many more possibilities for what you can do with your roster. I totally agree. And, you know, it's because of that value. I mean, Mitch Marner has a 94-point season under his belt already. And, you know, he can kill penalties for you. And, again, if you're the Leafs, you trade him, you get, you know, let's say another top six forward and space for another goalie if you needed one. I mean, Mrazek's hurt right now, so you don't know specifically what he can bring to the table. He only had the one appearance, um, but it opens up so much more space. Maybe you get to re-sign Morgan Riley if you trade Mitch Marner. Um, so I, I think, you know, and Nylander's your leading scorer right now and doing so for, as you mentioned, much less money. So in in all sort of aspects, I think Marner is sort of the, the tastier uh, player to dangle because you could get so much for him. Although, you know, you got to find a team that can take on that cap hit. But I was kind of joking myself this morning, Marner for Eichel, who says no? Um, probably a lot of people. But, uh, you know, I mean, that's that's sort of where you need to think in terms of how complicated these trades can be when you have a star player that makes a lot of money long term. Mm-hmm. Okay, next one is from Beach Life for me. Will the salary cap ever go away? Uh, I'm skeptical as long as Gary Bettman is the commissioner of the NHL. Uh, because we know the salary cap, it protects those smaller market teams. And those are his babies. They've always been his babies. I think that his defining legacy in his mind is his Sun Belt growth. The league is now 32 teams. 
And you know, if you if you discount COVID, the revenues were at an all-time high in 2018-19. And he's got a degree of parity, but also I think financial parity in terms of just being able to help those smaller market teams. And I think that matters a lot to him. So maybe if he wasn't the commissioner, it's something you could consider or going to a luxury tax situation, but I don't see it happening right now. Mm. I'm going to go the other way on this, and I'm not saying it's something that's going to happen soon, but I look at the owners in the NHL themselves, and and obviously you know they are technically Bettman's boss, uh, even though he has you know you know he's always number one on our money and power list, or, or pretty much always number one. Um, but I wonder as we see. You know, there's, there's going to be changes in ownership. There's usually not much, but, you know, I mean, people pass teams on to their kids and their kids have different perspectives and you get new owners every once in a while. And, you know, it's not just the big market teams that might want to get away from the salary cap. Like if you're Toronto or the Rangers or Chicago, you'd be like, yeah, the, the salary cap hurts us. We have so much money. We could be spending this money, you know, on players instead of, you know, trying to find other ways to to use that that leverage we have in terms of coaching and scouting and things like that. So you got you got that block of teams that would love to get rid of it. But then I also wonder if some of those small market teams would say, you know what? We have analytics departments right now that could get us really good bargains on players. And I think if I wanted to save some money, I don't really like the cap floor. So if you take away the salary cap, you could have teams that for a year or two, when they tank, they really tank. Interesting, yeah. But you save yourself twenty million real dollars. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so I could see a scenario where if it all lines up and you get the right owners and the right sort of uh, you know sort of cliques, where maybe they would have enough votes to say, you know what, salary cap's not working for us at the high end or the low end. And, you know, that obviously leaves out the middle teams that are like, no, we're cool. You know, like we're okay with this arrangement. But that would be the scenario I would see where they get rid of the salary cap, where enough owners say that it's not working for them in terms of the money that they could be saving or the success they could be having on the ice if they were allowed to spend more. Interesting answer. I like it. I like it. Alrighty. Oh, wait. Steven has got something. Is, is he going to rein in a, a surprise question? What do we right. got here? We got one really good question from Sammy Gladiator Rockstar. Wow. Great, Great name. After seeing what Tom Brady gave to get his 600 TE ball back, which I believe were multiple jerseys, a signed helmet, season tickets, and one Bitcoin, uh, what would your price be if you had Wayne Gretzky's first goal puck and he wanted it back? Ooh, that's a great question. Okay. Well, I want to set myself up for life if I can. So I'm going to want some money. I'm going to mm. want maybe a cut of his endorsements. He's had so many. Like, I would say, don't worry about your NHL salary. He's had so many different endorsements over the years. I want a cut. I want a cut of his career. I want 10% of his career endorsement earnings. I'll take that instead. And I want to be placed back in time and steal his hosting job on SNL. Because that's going to be really fun just to do it for one episode. Nice. So I'd, I'd want to be in that Wayne's World sketch and get to do all that stuff. Would you be any good at that? I could do it, yeah. I've yeah, done yeah. some performing my hockey in, my in Hawaii. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. Oh boy, that was cringe city. But <laughs> it's still pretty. It just shows. It's crazy how much things have changed. The fact that an NHL player was that famous that he could host SNL. Like, yeah. Picture Connor McDavid hosting SNL. My God, that yeah. would be. It'd be worth it for the cringe. Interesting. interesting. Yeah, uh, I would ask for one million dollars, but also. Uh, 
once, maybe not every year, but let's say once every two years, I can call Wayne Gretzky up and be like, you got to come to this thing. <laughs> it's in like two days. You know, it's in two days. I just like, I, I want him to appear. Yeah. Let, let, you know what? To be realistic, we'll say once every five years, I can call Gretzky and be like, yo, you got to show up to this thing. Start a band. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny. It reminds me of a story that I, I got told a couple weeks ago. So the Danbury Trashers doc, AJ Galante, I interviewed him, and one thing he said to me was, "Everyone thought it was so cool that I had wrestlers at my birthday, but it was like that wasn't the coolest birthday party I ever had. What wasn't in the documentaries? I had the Devils to my house for a birthday party. Nice. Marty Berder and like Scott Stevens, those guys showed up, and he sent me pictures of like Marty Berder at his birthday party when he was nice. twelve. So that actually happened. There you so that's go. That's your scenario with Wayne Gretzky. There you go. Alrighty, we're gonna finish with the rapid fire game. You are the host, Mr. Kennedy. Okay. All right. This is a this is gonna be a fun one. Uh, I, I took a little notes so I could remember it. <laughs> okay. So, who is your way too early Calder Trophy winner this season? Oh, you gotta go with Mr. Hattrick, Lucas Raymond, baby. Mm. Yep. Nice. I'm get right now because it's way too early. I'm actually gonna go with his teammate. More at Cider because he has almost as many points. I think it's five to seven or five to nine right now. Five. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, uh, but Cider's playing more uh, minutes, obviously, and and defense is you know more difficult than uh, than wing to play. So I'm gonna go more at Cider with that one. Um, similar question. Way too early. Who's your last overall team right now? <sighs> I don't think. Well, I mean, I might have said Buffalo. I think I got to say Arizona just because mm. they're tanking so much that I think they're going to continue to throw bodies overboard, including Phil Kessel. So, like, they're, they they desperately, they, they they yearn to be last place. They want it so bad. They'll do everything in their power. Let, like, everything other than, like, throwing games. <laughs> What's One step above throwing games is their strategy this year. Right. So, they're my pick. The Byron froze on the power play, as uh, yes, Ken Campbell always exactly. used to like to say with, in Toronto. Yeah, I, it's, part of me wants to say Chicago because they're such a mess, but Arizona clearly has a plan for the future. And I agree, you know, they're most likely going to trade Kessel to a contender. Uh, so that'll take another weapon out of their lineup. So I think Arizona is the uh, correct answer well, there. It would be funny though Buffalo kind of screws themselves out of shame. Like if they were just like, yeah. where it seemed like it was their thing to get and then blow that. Right, yeah. But I mean, if they're playing well, then it's like, ah, eh, you can't really fault them for... You just miss the playoffs yeah. and then you just miss that's that's when you're, when you're so bad that you're bad at being bad. That's bad at being bad? Yeah, yeah, that's tough, yeah. Okay, so this, I'm very excited about this. This is a rapid-fire quiz for you, Matt. The topic is Ikea item or metal band? <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, so the first one is... Trones. Is that a band or something you can find at Ikea? Um, band. No, that is a shoe cabinet or storage <laughs> cabinet at Ikea. Next one. Caveller talk. Band uh, or Ikea? Uh, Ikea. No. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it's a Norwegian metal band. They're really good. They're kind of hard rocky, but also metal. They kind of go all over the place. Okay, next one. Mirkir. Ikea item or metal band? I haven't got one right yet. I'm I going, love this so much. I go metal band. Yes. Woo! Yes. Mirker, a one-woman death metal band from Denmark. Uh, obviously, she has a backing band when she tours, but she plays all the instruments herself on the albums. Okay, final one. Stjarnrams. Metal band or Ikea item? 
Like the Rams part at the end uh, you call, it makes me think of Ramstein. Is that a trick? Is it a trap? I'm going for it. Metal band. Ikea item. Oh. Yes, that is a duvet cover. I believe you can also get Stian Rams curtains. Uh, so, okay, you got one out of three there. Okay. Great category. Great category. Thank you. I was at Ikea on the weekend. Um, okay, so uh, sticking with music for one more question because I know it makes you squirm. Um, but this one is a, a little more open. Which band, or I suppose artist, do you own the most albums from? Mm, okay, yeah, I, I'm going to trace it back to my high school days. I did have a big punk phase, so I had a lot of punk albums, like bands like Face to Face and, mm. and Lagwagon and Mill and Collins, shout out Sweden. Uh, but I think if I look at my peak music buying, like CD buying phase, it was right. probably Weezer. Like I, I had the Blue mm. Album, Pinkerton, Green Album, Maladroit, Maladroit, whatever that one's, I don't know how you pronounce that album. Mm. So I think I have the most... Weezer albums, even though I think mm. they're one of my most disappointing bands after I love their first two albums. I don't think they, think they ever found that heart again. Right. But I did buy a lot of their albums when I was a teenager. There you go. Okay, yeah. Mine, I'm pretty sure is Fugazi because I have every Fugazi album and I'm pretty sure Fugazi has more albums than Pig Destroyer. Pig Destroyer is probably second. Uh, but I, yeah, Fugazi, I think they have like eight or nine albums and I have all of them. Steven, is, is it Green Day for you or is it Slipknot? Metallica. Oh, it might be Metallica. Yeah, oh, there you go. Metallica. Solely because of how many albums I have. Right. Yeah. See, I don't. I didn't buy anything after the Black album because uh, when metal bands cut their hair, it's like Samson in the Bible. Metallica's they the get only, terrible. Metallica's the only band I have like a bootleg album that I found oh. in an LA uh, video or music store. Nice. Was it Amoeba music? That's ah, like okay. three floors. Pretty cool. Nice. Probably then. Okay. Final question. Uh, when you are on a road trip, do you prefer to be the driver or the passenger? Mm, a great one. Um, I think passenger because I just like the ability to, you know, play around with your phone, maybe play some fantasy sports, do, you know, look up the sports scores, that kind of stuff. I'm a pretty good car passenger because I'm really talkative and mm. I'm a little bit weird. So I can come up with interesting conversation topics. I'm okay with being both, but overall I prefer to be passenger. Mm, I go the other way. I prefer to be the driver. I do a lot on a lot of road trips on my own. Uh, obviously, it's better when you have somebody there to talk with, makes the time go better. But I prefer to be the driver, especially when you can come up with little like road trip hacks. Like one time, I figured out a way to eat KFC popcorn chicken with sauce while driving and stay safe because of combination of cup holders and where the door handle was. So I, was, I managed to do that all one-handed. Uh, that's it for the rapid fire. Thank you for playing. That was a good one. Possibly the GOAT category of rapid fire with the Ikea question. It's going to be hard for me to top next week, but I will try. Thank you, everybody, for listening and watching. <laughs>